This is the Do Big Things Podcast, where we want to inspire you to do big things. This podcast is brought to you by Big Things Crewing, a service for ultra runners from beginner to elite. Not only can we get you trained up, but we can also crew you into the finish line. Find us at big-things-crewing.com. Now, here is your host, Adam McRoberts. Greetings. How are you guys? I want to thank you for dropping in. If you're new here, this is my podcast. I love chatting with anyone who is doing big things in their life. I'm always digging for that inspiration. Uh, I always want to get some cool, weird stories out there and hopefully inspire all of you. I've got a great guest for you today with an incredible story. He's an old Nolan's 14 buddy of mine that I met in 2016. He's a super stud athlete that gets outside all the time and is super fit and healthy. I guess that's what makes his story so incredibly mind-blowing. On January 6th of this year, he entered an, an easy little ski mountaineering race. At least it was easy by his standards. This is one of those races you do during the week, in the evening, He jumped into the race last minute, and 10 minutes into the race, he had a full-on cardiac arrest. Eric Sanders was without a pulse for 40 minutes before he was brought back to life. What he and his family and loved ones went through was something I can't even imagine. But he is now working his way back to some semblance of normalcy and getting out for regular walks and runs. It's a pretty emotional conversation, at least it was for him and me while we were talking. He's still working through the emotions and the trauma that comes with something like this, and I'm sure you can hear it in his voice during our conversation. Eric is a super cool, humble guy, and I'm so glad he's all right and here to tell his story. It's an inspiring one, and I think this one is going to get you guys right in the feelers. This podcast is brought to you by On Pace Wellness. Do you ever wonder if there's a better version of yourself out there? Do you ever wonder if you were to eat 100% clean for, say, six months or a year, what that may translate to? Or maybe you need someone to point you in the right direction of what or how to eat nowadays. Should I snack and graze all day, or do I want to put time between meals so they have time to properly digest what is the best diet for you maybe you're already a super stud athlete and uh, you want to start winning some races this year will benitez is an experienced certified nutritionist who can help you do just that he's also an ultra runner so he's not going to tell you you're running too much He works with all kinds of really, really high-end athletes and ultra runners, and he is the guy to talk to about squaring away your diet. No cookie-cutter nutrition plans here. He actually listens to you and works closely with you. You can hear my conversation with him on episode number 62. Look him up at onpacewellness.com 
and mention the Do Big Things podcast to get 10% off his services. I highly recommend you guys checking him out. Uh, I listened to the conversation that I had with him several times and took a bunch of his advice to heart, and I'm already feeling better than ever. I just ran 10 miles today, and I felt fantastic during the run, and I felt really good afterwards. On Pace Wellness. Get dialed in. This podcast is also brought to you by Athletic Brewing. They've made it their mission to brew non-alcoholic beer that doesn't compromise taste, quality, or our healthy, active lifestyle. This is great-tasting, non-alcoholic craft beer made with high-quality, natural all-natural ingredients with low calories for the active lifestyle. This ain't no O'Doul's, baby. This is the good stuff. No matter your motivation, if you want to keep a clear head and drink healthier, they are here for you. Enjoy the taste without the hangover. Check them out at athleticbrewing.com. Get 20% off using the discount code McRobertsA20, all caps. That's my last name and first initial, M-C-R-O-B-E-R-T-S-A-20, for 20% off some of the best non-alcoholic beer around. This stuff is winning contests all over the globe. Winning contests when they're up against regular beer, alcohol beer. It tastes better than regular beer. This stuff is awesome, you guys. Please check it out. Look them up, athleticbrewing.com, and use my discount code. Remember, by supporting our sponsors, you are supporting this podcast. Now, welcome back from the other side, Mr. Eric Sanders. How are you? How are you feeling? Well, yeah, I'm getting, uh, you know, better and better every day. It's, uh, you know, I'm probably, I would say, you know, as close as I can to being normal after something like that happened. So good, good. Glad to hear it. I'm sure it was a life-changing event in a lot of different ways. Have you had a chance to sort of publicly open up about it or write about it or anything yet? Um, yeah, I mean, you know, a little bit here and there. I haven't really posted I've just posted, you know, some random little Facebook updates here or there. I haven't done anything bigger than that. Um, you know, we'll see what happens moving forward, but just, yeah, right now I'm just trying to process everything and, you know, it's still, still a lot uh, going on and they still don't have a real answer of what exactly happened um, that day. So sure. yeah, I mean, what's going on with my body. So yeah. Oh, I'd, I'd like to write some more about it in the future and just, you know, I, I haven't told anybody really any kind of diagnosis yet just because i don't even know <laughs> yeah yeah how how are you like mentally are you able to talk about it without getting like crazy emotional or, or where are you at at this point yeah <laughs> yeah you know i've i've been out of the hospital now for i think around seven weeks or so sure and uh yeah you know i don't you know i was never cried more in my life you know really um, the first first month I was out and you know that that first week I was in the hospital and when I was getting out and you know part of that's part of that's because of the drugs they're giving you and things like that but still it's just been really real emotional and uh, yeah I don't really have many more tears <laughs> to, to give anymore so <laughs> I can only imagine I was kind of I'm kind of burnt out I, I'm not usually a person that gets real emotional in life but yeah. Yeah. uh you know yeah this experience is definitely 
given me a different uh, perspective. I can only imagine. Well, I want to be <laughs> as sensitive to that as I can. Like if there's anything you don't want to talk about, just, just say so. But, um, um, but yeah, we're recording. So let's, let's go back. I mean, let's give you an intro. I mean, I first met you, uh, gosh, I wish I remembered what year it was now, but it was, it 2016. was, was it 2016. Okay. Believe, yeah. So we were, uh, you know, all, we all had ambitions of, uh, Nolan's 14, uh, one fine summer day. And, uh, you know, we all, we all took off, uh, and, uh, gosh, man, um, gosh, I think I only made it like, I don't even remember four or five peaks that day. And, and you were trailing up on ahead of me. I saw you, I was with you for a little while. And then for yeah. a while, I just saw you like way up on the summit of La Plata. I'm like, well, there goes Eric. <laughs> <laughs> honestly, I think that might've been even the last time I saw you, but yeah, could have been. <laughs> you're, you are an endurance athlete and more importantly, you're an adventure racer, right? Yeah. So yeah, that's my main sport. How, what's your history with adventure racing and, and how did you get into all that? Um, yeah, I mean, you know, going back all the way to high school, I played three sports. So I was a, a soccer player and I dove on this springboard diving team and um, I played tennis. Um, and I went to college actually my freshman year for, for diving. And, um, you know, I was just, I wasn't the greatest diver. I would, <clears throat> I would smack the water and just end up black and blue all the time. And <laughs> Mm-hmm. it was it was way too painful of a sport for me <laughs> and i was like I, I should i need to find something else to do and uh i got into road biking huh. and um you know i joined the cycling team at university of north dakota and uh you know that's when my love for endurance really kind of started uh, my brother and sister started doing triathlons and i was like oh that sounds kind of cool and so i did my first triathlon um i think like my freshman year of uh college okay and, um, you know, I started road biking a lot on the road biking team there. And that's really where my love for endurance sports kind of, um, <laughs> took off. And, uh, I met a guy up there also, um, who was doing these different style of races, you know, these backcountry wilderness style of races. And I really thought that was, was pretty neat. You know, the one thing I missed about from triathlons was being able to be out in, in the woods and in, in the mountains and the rivers and things mm-hmm. like that. Um, and that sport was like a natural connection for me to be able to get out into the mountains, um, in the woods and things. And just, you know, it, the pace wasn't uh, as much of a big deal. It was more about your mental fortitude and, uh, you know, experiencing, experiencing, um, you know, cool places, um, not just pushing your body to the limit. Um, mm-hmm. so yeah, I met him and I kind of got into the sport of adventure racing and, uh, he eventually ended up linking me up with his brother, uh, who was taking part in these like extreme, um, adventure races that were like multiple days. And, um, I did a race in Bend, Oregon. It was a 36 hour race, uh, and I think it was 2011. And, um, yeah, you know, the first few years of me doing adventure races were, they just turned my body in, in mind inside and out. Like I was, learning to suffer and to be in extreme amounts of pain and, and, uh, you know, teaching my, teaching my mind how to overcome those situations and really teaching. Yeah. My mind to that. It was a lot in some of those situations is really mental. Um, how you feel like you can choose to be in the doldrums and to be in a lot of pain, or you can 
choose to be in, in some pain um, and just, you know, be managing it and uh, to feel better about the situation and to be more hopeful. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, I really kind of gained a lot of perspective um, progressively. And, you know, progressively, I just started doing more and more of these um, adventure races and I got into doing like, you know, bigger mountain efforts like Nolan's and, uh, you know, Rainier Infinity Loop and Cascade mm -hmm. Trifecta. And it just kind of blossomed from there I guess you could say like you know you know the FKT style efforts um just being out in the mountains are where I really love to be and uh you know those were those those experiences kind of just being out in the mountains with some buddies are are the most important ones to me you know regardless of if you get the fastest time or not it's just fun to be out um in the mountains pushing yourself and uh being with some friends ultimately totally now are you from Colorado originally I'm from um, Minnesota originally. Oh, really? Um, okay. okay. Yeah, I'm from Wisconsin. So. Oh, nice. Midwest. Yeah, there's so many Midwest people out here. There and, are. I've got a lot of great friends from the Midwest. So. Oh, totally. Well, it's funny because I'll be out in the mountains, like way out in the middle of nowhere, and there's someone with the Wisconsin Badgers hat or something. I'm like, ah, there's yeah. another one. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We let, we uh, tend to love the mountains. Us Midwesterners, we we don't grow up with it, so I think it's just kind of, you know, when you grow up out here, it's just kind of adds, has that sense of awe um, yeah. when you first see them and everything like that. Yeah, it's more of a novelty. It's funny, like I work with people who are from Colorado and, you know, they live right outside of Boulder and they've never been up. They don't even know where Green Mountain is. It's like, yeah. you don't even know where it's at. Like I, I, I go up there twice a week. Like it's my favorite yeah. spot. And they're like, oh, yeah. no, uh -uh. yeah, that's bizarre to me. Yeah, but. me too you do um and you're in colorado right now right do you uh, do you live like in the golden area um so yeah though another um kid i'm not going to go on too much of a tangent with it but i'm actually in minneapolis right now i'm oh, okay. kind of recovering at my family's house oh got it uh, got it in minnesota and um <clears throat> you know and we were in the process of kind of moving up to the flathead valley area mm. um, when the whole incident kind of happened so um, you know it's postponed us a little bit but for sure. Yeah. I'm sure this will set you back for a while. <laughs> yeah. So, um, I don't know tons about adventure racing. So would you mind describing what an adventure race is? I'm sure they're all a little bit different, but like in, I mean, it seems like you were really into it. You do a lot of these races, right? Yeah. I, that was, you know, I was doing probably two, three, um, two or three multi-day adventure races a year, okay. um, from, 2013 on wow. until about, you know, until before, right before COVID happened. Um, and that was, yeah, my main sport. Like, you know, I would, I would train every single day for, for those types of races mentally and physically. And um, mm. yeah, so adventure races, um, they're a multi-sport, um, multi-day endurance event that involves navigation. And it's a, team sport um and they can go anywhere from you know a few hours to up to 10 days mm. um and the longest race i've done was in costa rica in 2013 um but yeah so they're just kind of uh you know and they're always in these amazing backcountry places like the race directors bring you to these places you would never get to experience as a tourist or um, just as, as you were traveling normally, because they're, they're generally local people and they, they know like all these amazing highlight spots. For sure. Yeah. 
And so what are the different disciplines that you're employing in these different races? Um, you know, yeah, it can vary pretty drastically, but so the main sports are usually mountain biking, um, some kind of trekking or trail running, um, and, uh, paddling. Okay. Um, and then, you know, there can be different variations of all those things. Like, you know, there's sea kayaking and there's, um, whitewater paddling and pack rafting. Um, sometimes they have like glacier travel. Like I did a race in 2015 that we traversed like a 40 mile long glacier, um, including wow. a glacier in Alaska. Okay. Um, and we actually performed like a crevasse rescue during the race. It was pretty insane. Whoa. Um, but yeah, so there's just like, you know, you have the three main things, um, and then they can kind of, each race has its own little niche thing that they like to throw in there just for, for fun. Sure. Yeah. And so you're starting as a team and finishing as a team, correct? Yep. Yep. If one per teammate drops out, the whole team's done. Or, okay. Well, you can continue as a team of three, but you're DNF technically. Okay. Okay. Um, what is that like for you? Like, it seems like more of a team sport and, you know, the stuff that I'm doing, obviously ultra running is very, a very solo endeavor, you know? So, um, are you, do you feel like you're good at the team sport thing? Is that something you enjoy? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's where I, I'm probably better, um, when I'm with people. Mm -hmm. Um, I, it just helps like mentally and physically, like, as we all know, like, you know, being with friends out in the mountains is, is always, it's just, it's just more fun ultimately. Yeah, totally. Like you can yeah. plot along solo and it's just, you can go into your head and it's just a mental, um, you know, war with your mind, really. You just mm -hmm. go into these doldrums and, you know, having friends there and teammates, um, just makes everything so much more enjoyable, I feel mm -hmm. like. And, uh, yeah, yeah so I, the teammate, the teamwork aspect of adventure racing, I think is really cool. And, um, you know, that you can lean on your teammates when you're feeling, um, when you're going through a really rough patch and, um, you know, there's been every single race, like you could think you're the strongest one on the team, but you'll be the weakest at some point in the race. And you, you need to rely on your teammates to get you through the, some of those low moments. And, um, you know, that's really been kind of ingrained in, into my mind, uh, doing so many of these long endurance races that it, it really does take, uh, you know, a good team and good teamwork to get through like these extremely long races, like uh, quickly. And um, if you want to do well, Adam, like there'll be teams who are all extremely strong athletes, but they'll do really poorly in the race because they don't know how to work together and they don't know how to take, you know, weight from a teammate um, and transfer loads and, switch roles on the team and things like that so yeah i think my team my, my uh team sports background has played a little bit into that but. yeah for sure do you always have the same teammates or are you mixing it up with different people all the time um i've raced on different teams uh, but the best teams usually have some sort of team dynamic mm -hmm. uh where you have some knowledge of each other's skills and weaknesses and um yeah so I've, i have varied throughout my years of racing with different teams but when i've raced the best it's always been with people i knew pretty well and uh you know we had had some tough experiences together yeah so how many people are usually on these teams 
Uh, there are teams of four and they're always co-ed um, if you're going to be in like the elite category. So you have to have a male, female team. Okay. So can it be like three men, one women, or does it have to be two and two or? Um, yeah, it could be any, any variation of male to female, but they have to be co-ed and teams of four if, if you're going to be in the elite category. Okay. So typically you and, and these same like few friends will kind of call or email each other and say, Hey, I'm looking at this race, like six months, 12 months away, you guys interested in this and you kind of start working towards that. Or what does that look like? Yeah, I would be probably at least six months out. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, you're kind of targeting a certain race and, uh, yeah, you get your team lined up and, you know, you start working towards that common goal and kind of uh, getting some uh, camaraderie going between you and the teammates and uh, kind of just getting getting acquainted with each other. Now, are your teammates in different locations, like across the country or across the world? So you guys are just like training at, on your own and communicating through email or are, is everyone in Colorado? Oh, shoot, did I lose you? Oh, there you are. I think I lost you for a second. Did you, yeah. catch, did you catch that question? Yeah. I think like, you know, where are my teammates located basically? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So I've raced with team, uh, teammates kind of all over the world. Um, but, um, when I've mostly I've raced with teammates from the U S uh, you know, I've raced up with a team out of Bend, Oregon, uh, the three team members live there. And then I've also raced, um, with a team where, we're all us based. Um, one guy lives in California, one lived in Michigan and, um, the navigator on the team, he was actually from uh, Melbourne, Australia. Mm. And then my other, my good buddy, uh, Olaf, I've raced with him a number of times and he lives up in Breckenridge, Colorado. Okay. So does everybody have sort of like one or two skills that they're really good at? And then you guys are kind of mixing all your skills together to make this big thing happen or, and if that's the case, yeah. like, what's your specialty? Yeah, I mean, I think people would, my teammates would probably say my specialty is just uh, staying positive in those really rough, rough moments and kind of being the team cheerleader to pick us up through those low, low points. And, uh, you know, I also am I'm kind of the workhorse. I carry the heavier packs mm. um, during the race. So, yeah, if, if people want to load me up with more of the gear, unfortunately, I'm that I'm the guy that does that. You're the guy. Um, yeah. So, but you know, you know, each team has a kind of a designated navigator is good to have um, because they're the main decision maker for the route choices you make. Um, and then you, they generally work with maybe the team captain, like say there's a navigation choice and they want to consult, you know, you know, you can consult with the whole team, but it's good to just kind of limit how many people are, you know, trying to get their hands into what the decision should be. So you have a navigator and then like team captain um, who kind of are the main decision makers on the route choices and some of those things. Um, and then um, another person on a team, just as far as our team goes, is like kind of the organizational a uh, person who kind of just is really good with logistics and how everything will flow in the race. Um, so like a big part of these races is like you get these bins before the race and you have to pack those bins up with certain food and certain gear that you want on certain 
points of the race where the race organization is going to transport those bins to. Mm. Um, and if you don't have, like, say you don't have your biking shoes in the bin and you're going onto a biking leg, you're just, you're just screwed. Like you got to do the biking leg with whatever you had before that. So maybe it was a paddle leg and you have these wet, uh, neoprene booties or something. And, you know, you would have to make do with it if you didn't pack them in that bin. So like, it can be really kind of a logistical nightmare before the race on figuring out what to pack in these different bins that are transported around throughout the course to these different transition areas. And, uh, you know, there's usually one person who's like extremely good with (laughs) those kinds of logistics and they like can just see it and how it all flows. And like, um, you know, every team usually has somebody like that on the team that can, uh, really wire those things down. Got it. So you've been doing this adventure racing for years. What are like a couple of the standout moments for you? Like, um, some of the high times, some of the low times, like, I think I've seen like a couple of the docu-series maybe like on Amazon prime with, uh, of adventure racing. So I kind of have an idea of what it is, but I have no experience. So I'm just curious, like, what are a couple moments that stand out for you? Um, let's see here, you know, there's so many, so many lows and highs throughout sure. the years. It's, <laughs> it's hard to like pinpoint you know, one, but, you know, I can go to basically the whole 20, uh, adventure race world championships in 2015. And, uh, it was in the Pantanal of Brazil and basically it was the largest wetland in the world. And it, the whole race was just kind of a nightmare. Um, we started out the race with a 30 mile upriver paddle. And it was 105 degrees out with 100% humidity. <laughs> and that's the start of the race. So there was a team who dropped out probably an hour in. <laughs> um, and to make matters even worse, like I had been projectile vomiting in this Navy boat that they took us to the start of the race. I was projectile vomiting over the side of the boat um, the night before the race, mm-hmm. you know, losing all my fluids. And um you know, I knew this was going to be probably one of the hardest races of my life. And I got on Google translate on my phone and, um, it, you know, they speak Portuguese down there. So I was like doing Google translate on my phone to say, I tell somebody I needed an IV cause I was losing like everything. I was just, you know, I had stuff coming out both ends. Yeah. Um, I got some kind of food poisoning and, uh, you know, I found this Navy, guy and he got a medic and you know they ended up giving me an iv that night to get some fluids back in my body and so i started the race out in that condition (laughs) so not not up to a great start not very optimal (laughs) and uh you know the race just i could we could spend an hour here just talking about i'm sure the brazil adventure race world championships in 2015 their whole thing was just an absolute nightmare um (laughs) <laughs> Nobody finished the full course. Not one, not even the best team in the world. Really? From New Zealand Seagate. Uh, they had to, they had to fly teams over a certain section of the race because it took um, two of the best teams in the world, um, which was one of them was Seagate. It took them like three days to get through a leg of the race that the race director said it would take a max of 24 hours. Mm. 
<laughs> and you know in what were they up against they, what was it just the heat and the humidity or what, what exactly were they up against that was so so tough in that specific section yeah so that specific like the pantanal where we were at in that race is the largest wetland in the world mm-hmm. and so where they were in that section of the race was basically this wetland section and it was kind of anywhere from probably ankle deep water to water that you would have to be you know swimming through Mm. um and this was a pack raft leg so they did have boats um but the other problem with this leg of the race was there was no navigational features um in the maps are basically don't do you any good um, because there's nothing to navigate off of like it's a purely flat environment and there's no terrain features the maps are really poor and old and don't really show what's going on in reality (laughs) and so there's nothing to navigate on and you start doing little variations left or right of your bearing because you have to get around these like jungle features and um you know you want to stay paddling you don't want to go through super dense jungle for a quarter mile you want to just paddle around it so all those things start to add up and you get off bearing Mm. um and you know, when it's it's 110 degrees out and you're in, you don't have any GPS in these races, like you're not you're not allowed to use a GPS device. It's all map and compass. It's all map and compass. You know, you do have a satellite beacon for that you can press SOS to get help. But you know, it's still in that section of the course, you know, the best teams in the world were having difficulty figuring out where they were mm. and only one team ultimately made it through without trying to get help. And that was Seagate, um, you know, the best team in the world. And they have this guy he named Chris Foreign, and he's literally like a human GPS. He could just get himself out of any, any situation. <laughs> but they still know. didn't finish the race. They still didn't make it through the full course. Wow. <laughs> they ended up giving teams placements just because it was such a nightmare and such a mess, but it really, it really should have just been a complete wash and just canceled all, as a whole. Yeah. Well, I'm guessing with all your experience in this sport, you've, you've probably done well at, at times too, and probably won some races. So, um, you know, what's that like as, as a team sport, is it, I'm just picturing like, like a soccer team, like, like chess bumping each other at the end, like, <laughs> like we made it like just pure adrenaline. But I mean, what's that like? Yeah, yeah, I've done, I've won a few uh, multi-day races, um, you know, I'm not going to go through the whole list, but I mean, my best result was in 2016 at the Venture Race World Championships in Australia, and um, we played second there, and uh, we were only like an hour and a half be- behind Seagate there, so that was a pretty <laughs> big deal for us, and yeah. uh, you know, yeah, you just, you know, in these races, you go through it's like living 10 years of your life um, mm. in a matter of days. Like you just go through so many emotions, um, yeah. highs and lows. And, uh, you know, it's your teammates who are there that really help you through those low times and who are there to experience the high times and, you know, experience the beautiful sunrises and sunsets and just, mm-hmm. you know, everything. You just go through so much in those races. And, uh, yeah, crossing the finish line is just kind of a surreal experience. Yeah. Um, and you know it's it's there's nothing better to you know after 
three or four days out with only about eight or nine hours of sleep, just crossing the finish line and eating some food, hot food right. and uh, passing out, going right. taking a nap and right. waking up the next day. Well, so yeah, I mean, I'm in the endurance world and I know you, uh, you've done lots of ultra races too. Um, and you know, it's like, just spending sometimes like an hour with someone out on the trail when you guys are really suffering, there's just a bond there that that's going to be hard to break. And a lot of times there's friendships that are built just out of that hour that last a lifetime, you know? Yeah. And, uh, so I imagine something like this is just, you know, times a hundred, if you're with four people for days and days and you're all suffering at different times and picking each other up to make it through this thing, I imagine you're just, creating like the the best of friends out there yeah yeah you can create really great friends and really get great enemies <laughs> oh really i suppose that but, too <laughs> yeah yeah i mean you know hopefully you're creating great friends ideally you know but uh that's true i'm sure at the end of some of these you're like i hope i never see you again <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah no i've never i've never had that experience personally racing with any of my teammates but um good you know yeah you do you do go through like just so many emotions and uh, yeah, so many highs and lows. It's just like, um, you know, you really have, you really learn to uh, work as a team and to help each other through difficult situations. Um, you know, especially if you're going to try to do well in these races, you really have to know how to work as a team and to pick people up and uh, um, yeah, take, you know, everybody hurts in these races and maybe your teammates hurting just a little more than you. So you put that extra 10 pounds of weight in your pack. Mm. Um, and, you know, and, and it's just what you do to help your teammate out. And, uh, you know, hopefully they do it for you. when when you're in that really low moment and, you know, the best teams know how to do that. And, um, you know, that's something I've really learned uh -huh. um, in a lot of these races. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I'm going to start snaking my way to, uh, January 6th here. Um, how has your health been throughout all these adventure races? Have you had any other, um, issues or hiccups or any, any warning signs or, or anything throughout your career in the years past? Yeah, you know, and this one was a long time ago. It was in 2013 and, and that was one of the very first adventure races I did. It was I think I'd maybe done one other multi-day adventure race um, the year prior in Wyoming. And then, so this one, when I had this event was in, it might've been in, it actually might've been the same year, but just at a later time in the year. And this was in Yosemite and I, our team had been pushing pretty hard all day, um, kind of paddling and running through the mountains and, um, you know, it had been extremely hot. And so we started this next bike leg of the race. And it was probably within the next hour after starting to bike, we were biking up this really steep hill and it, and night had just fallen. And so we were, had, had our headlamps on and stuff. And I, we were biking up this hill and I just um, felt like my heart was starting to beat like out of control. Mm. And so I told my team as hey, like, I'm, I feel like my heart's beating out of my chest and like, I've never felt anything like this before. Like, you know, I feel like I'm having a heart attack. And so I'd laid down on the ground for probably 10 minutes and just kind of closed my eyes and tried to calm myself down and slow my heart rate and 
just get everything back under control. And my teammates were like, okay, you know, <laughs> he definitely, this is something kind of abnormal going on here. And they just kind of tried to stay calm and talk to me. And uh, yeah, you know, it's, it's a difficult, uh, looking back on it, it's, it's kind of hard to um, think that that maybe had been a, a precursor event to this. Right. Yeah. Did you see a doctor or anything after that? Yeah, I had, had an EKG done. Um, I think about a month later, and they they didn't really say anything. Um, seemed to be abnormal, but oh. I think you know these things can be tricky to find, I think. And I think we've learned maybe some more over the last few years, but I think it is kind of difficult to read some of these things. Okay. But that's been the only incident in your life that could yeah, that have was, possibly been a warning sign, like maybe, or maybe not. Yeah. That was really the only time I can really pinpoint that okay. I felt like my heart was kind of racing like that and being out of control. Yeah. I'm curious, do you follow like a, a certain diet or nutrition plan or um, what's your, your typical eating habits like? Yeah, I try to eat fairly healthy diet. Um, you know, lots of fruits and veggies and salads. And, um, you know, I do eat red meat and fish and, you know, I don't, I don't have too many limitations within my diet, really. I, I try to eat, you know, just a well-rounded diet and eat pretty healthy. Um, so no, no real restrictions that I've ever put on myself. Um, sure. Okay. But pretty clean. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely pretty clean, especially since, um, you know, I've been dating Liz. <laughs> she, she definitely can make some really good food and really healthy stuff. Nice. God bless her. Yes. Yeah, yeah that's right. <laughs> with my girl, if it wasn't for her, man, I don't know what, what I'd be eating, but, uh, yeah, yeah. God bless our ladies. Um, right. and so, um, and so you've also been doing ski mountaineering. So tell me about this race in uh, Montana on, uh, in early January. Was it a big race? Was it a long distance race or, or what were you prepared for that day? Yeah. You know, this was just a, just a local short kind of uh, after work kind of burn that you would try to go to. It's like, you know, it's like the A-Basin Schemo race series. Um, you know, it was, it was like an afterthought for me, really. You know, I, I'd met this guy up there and he, he mentioned the race um, being on Wednesday night and he was like, yeah, you should come check it out. And I was like, yeah, that sounds like a great idea. I, you know, it's just the scene I kind of love to be in. And I thought it was a great way for me to potentially meet some new friends up there. Yeah. Yeah. So if you don't mind, like, just like walk me through what you remember of that day. Um, so yeah, I mean, just, just had a normal work day and I, I'd found out about the race. I'd looked at the course map, um, you know, at, at my hotel and, uh, it was about 800 feet of gain. Um, and then three laps of that. So the race was going to be 2,400 feet, which is, is really comparable to like a, a basin, um, Tuesday morning race. And, you know, yeah, I just didn't think necessarily anything of it. I was just going to be another day for me. And yeah, this is nothing um, outside of your capabilities or anything like that. This is just kind of an, kind of an easy week, weekday race, right? Yeah. Just, you know, go out there and have some fun. Like, you know, just, it's just what I love to do is just be out and, you know, moving, moving my body. So for sure. yeah, I 
we went up to the ski race and Liz was driving the car and I was kind of getting my boots on and stuff in the car ready to ready to go and um Liz was about to turn into the lower parking lot and I was like oh no we need to go um up the mountain a little further um, the race starts up there and that's where check-in is and um that would be now that's now my last memory of everything that happened oh really so yeah I don't remember getting my skins on my skis I don't remember checking into the race I don't remember no starting I don't wow I don't remember any anything else from you know from there I remember waking up in the hospital wow that's crazy I wonder why you don't remember the start of the race um have you heard any theories about that I think it's just your body's way of uh protecting itself your really? your mind and and uh yeah, everything. It's just your body's way of protecting itself. It tries to block everything, everything out that happened, yeah. you know, wow. within a certain time frame. Okay. Okay. And so give us the, the sort of skinny of what happened. I mean, it was like a full on cardiac arrest, right? Yeah. So we started the race and, um, we were about 10 minutes in or just under 10 minutes. Um, and we were kind of weaving through the trees. Um, still you know pushing really hard uphill like you know the first 20 minutes of a schema race are the most brutal mm. um that's when your heart is really just going crazy and uh you know you haven't been able to like get into that rhythm yet like your mm. body's still trying to settle into the pace and the effort and totally um yeah so you know it was right in that in that time frame where it's just like your body's still trying to equalize and try to get get comfortable mm -hmm. um, and so and so the I heart, guess, so the heart rate's up and you're going uphill and you're just like 10 minutes into this race yeah and we're weaving through the trees i guess i was you know went towards the front of the pack and um i was right next to this one guy and i fell over and uh, he looked back at me and I think he said, I think he said that I kind of like looked up at him or something. Um, and so he didn't necessarily think much of it and he kept going. And um, there's a girl behind me about 10 seconds. And there was all these like, this is like a mountain bike. So where we were, I think is like, I've been told is like a mountain bike. It was like a mountain bike trail and there's these berms. Mm. And so I had collapsed just down from one of the berms. And so if you weren't, pretty close to me you wouldn't see me and so yeah this girl got up to me and she saw me and she knew that this other physician was right behind like another maybe 10 seconds and she kind of yelled to uh rachel um who works at Calspell regional medical center and she got up to me and I think, you know, all these, all three medical professionals got to me in about three seconds or 30 seconds or 40 seconds. Um, and so Pete Habor and Tyler Hoppus were, um, right behind, um, Rachel and I forget who, I think, uh, Rachel got up to me first and kind of did some kind of, uh, you know, rub on the chest and they could tell like something was wrong with me and my oh, its skin was really pale and mm. um i just didn't look right mm. uh you know and, and so they immediately checked for a pulse and they couldn't feel pulse 
And so that's when they started doing CPR basically right away. Um, and so these guys just happen to be in the race. They just happen to be behind you. Yeah. You know, they, they're, you know, avid people in the ski, ski mountaineering community up there and the outdoor community up there. And yeah, they, you know, I <laughs> just got lucky, I guess. And, uh, you know, you couldn't have three better people behind you. And oh when something like that happens, you no know, kidding. having those guys there is just, is it's hard to write a better story for what happened to me, you know, wow. having them right there. So, and then they started CPR right away. Yeah. So they started doing CPR. They were checking pull for my pulse in like a number of different locations. You know, they're checking in all the standard locations that you would get a pulse. Um, and they didn't just didn't find anything. And so, yeah, they started CPR immediately. Um, and then uh, somebody yelled to another race participant to go down and get um, ski patrol and alert them to bring a defibrillator and uh, mm. toboggan up to me. Mm. And so then I think it was around 20 minutes or so. Um, or I don't know. I don't know. The time, the time frame is a little bit hard for me to figure out. But so a, a ski toboggan eventually got up to me and an AED got to me um and that might have been about 20 minutes after me falling over mm. um and so they put the defibrillator on me they attempted a shock and it didn't work just one shock just yeah and it didn't advise another shock so okay okay you know all you can really do with those machines is you put things on and do what the machine tells you to do and you know if it advises a shock it does one if it doesn't advise another shock it doesn't do it doesn't attempt another one so they continued doing cpr and that's kind of when the whole heroic process of just continuing the cpr as i'm taking down the, the ski runs on um the ski toboggan mm -hmm. uh, to the bottom of the mountain so they were con they continued cpr while you were riding down on toboggan. Yeah. Yeah. So <laughs> yeah, it's just, a, insane. It's, just it's just an un unbelievable amount of effort, you know, that they put oh into, you know, it's such physical work doing CPR, you know, doing it for five minutes is like backbreaking enough. And, you know, uh -huh. to think that these people were doing that for 40 minutes, you know, taking me down the mountain and, uh, you know, <laughs> Pete, um, eventually, Peter uh, at one point got bucked off the ski toboggan, I'm told. And like, I think there was two of them on the ski toboggan at one time. They were kind of rotating through doing chest compressions and things yeah. like that. And Pete eventually, like at one point, got bucked off of the ski toboggan when he was doing chest compressions because it's like they were taking me down. Like I'm still going down these berms and like these uphill rises and downhills and yeah, Pete eventually got bucked off at one point and Tyler did like a running, <laughs> running jump and <laughs> jumped on the ski toboggan and uh, continued doing uh, chest compressions. Whoa. It's just like a pretty crazy uh, visual of like, yeah, how much of a battle it was for them and, uh, you know, what, how much effort they really put into me. Yeah. Just, yeah. Yeah. It's just incredible. Wow. Um, 
I'm guessing you've talked to them since then where, like, where were their heads at at this point? Um, were things looking pretty grim? I think at that point, you know, they were just doing everything they possibly could. They weren't really necessarily thinking about the outcome. They just wanted to mm-hmm. get me in an ambulance, um, and get me to some type of better care. So, mm-hmm. you know, they were just trying to do anything they possibly could sure. to, uh, you know, and, you know, luckily, you know, everybody who does this stuff type of stuff is extremely fit. So, you know, they, you know, it was extremely draining for them, but, you know, it's like, it's like doing a race in, in and of itself, just trying to do CPR compression. So they were extremely fit and able to continue doing quality CPR compressions during all that time. Yeah. Well, you know, in a lot of ways, that's what we train for is we're, you know, we're training for life. We're training for situations. If something happens in the mountains and you got to carry somebody out of there, you know, it's like, you'd hate for that to happen, but it's like in the back of your head, like, you know, I'm probably fit enough. You give me a little bit of adrenaline and I can probably do something like that, but yeah. Wow. Unreal. So, um, so then they got you down to the ambulance and I'm guessing in the ambulance, they gave you like a shot of epinephrine or something like that, or, or what happened at that point? Yeah, yeah, exactly. So um, I got in the ambulance and, you know, Tyler, he's actually the head of like the e- ER down there. Mm. And so he actually jumped in the ambulance with the the paramedics there and uh, they administered a epinephrine injection, um, straight into my shin, just below my knee. And I guess that's what got my heart heartbeat started. They didn't actually administer another, uh, defibrillator shock. And I think it's a newer procedure that they've found out within the last, I don't know, 10 years, or, you know, I couldn't tell you how many years, but they found out that doing these, um, direct epinephrine injections into bone marrow, um, can bring back uh, a person's pulse. Wow. And, um, yeah, I was really lucky they had done that to me because, you know, who knows what would have happened had, had they not known to do that. Sure. And so that started your heart beating again. Um, did you, uh, wake up or, uh, were you still unconscious at that point? Yeah, I was still unconscious and I had gotten a, I'd gotten, um, you know, in the ambulance and they, they were driving down the road right from there. Um, and they were headed on the way to the Kalispell Regional Medical Center. And Tyler tells me that in the ambulance, I was able to hold up two fingers. He, he asked me to hold up two fingers and I guess I did. Um, (laughs) I have obviously have no recollection of any, any of that, but He, he tells me that uh, he asked me to do that and I was able to do it. So that was like a really hopeful sign okay. um, in that moment. Wow. Um, backing up just a tiny bit, like how well did you know Tyler and these other people that were helping you out? Did, did you know them on a, on a close personal basis or were they pretty much just strangers? Yeah. Yeah. That it's, I had no, I had, I knew nobody at that oh, really? race except for, you know, the one guy I'd met, um, you know, like two days before the race. Wow. So, hey, I was a complete stranger. <laughs> They're like, who is this guy? You know, <laughs> he, he uh, comes up here and just falls over. And, you know, oh my gosh. Like, and they start just pouring their whole life into me. And like, yeah, yeah they, they have no clue of who I am. No kidding. So, yeah. It's a pretty amazing, amazing thing. So for all intensive purposes, 
you were pretty much without a pulse for 40 minutes. Is that right? That's, that's, um, I think accurate to, to what every, everything I can tell. That's a long time, man. Holy cow. Yeah. And you don't remember anything. There was no like light at the end of the tunnel or anything crazy like that. <laughs> yeah. You know, I've, I've tried to think about where I was in those 40 minutes, but, um, yeah. you know, that might be another, uh, <laughs> part of this conversation we get into like at a different point or something. For sure. Know. For sure. Um, Gosh, man, if I was you, I would want to like, I don't know, go to a hypnotist and try and <laughs> try and remember yeah. like, yeah, I don't yeah. know. That's crazy. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a wild, wild experience. Um, you know, and it's still hard to believe. Like I still look at the, you know, I'm sure a lot of people have seen the photo now, but of me laying on the ground with that defibrillator pads on my chest. And, oh my God. I saw it and, it and it just doesn't even, it looks like a mannequin. Yeah. I look at it and I'm like, who is that guy? You know, he's wearing my clothes and he's wearing my boots, but like, it's, I still, it's still really hard for me to comprehend that that's really me laying there on the ground. I bet man, because there is no life in that body. I mean, it, it looks like, yeah, it just looks like a mannequin. It's yeah. I had to look at it like three or four times. I'm like, is this, this can't be a real picture of Eric. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, it's just, it's uh yeah. An emotional photo to look at. It's, you know, there's a lot going on there. You know, I'm, I'm laying there basically dead, but just pretty amazing to see how many people are there kind of willing to help out. And, you know, the whole ski community there is all kind of right there trying to do everything they can to keep me alive. So, yeah. You know, at one point you got this side of it where it's, you know, me being basically as close to being dead as you can. Mm. Um, but at, that, at the other point, you got all these people there that are uh, sending their energy right, right to me. Totally. Yeah. And what's the first thing you remember in the hospital? Yeah, I think it's about uh, two days later, or really? day and a half later, something like that. And, wow. um, it's they had put a ventilator in to breathe for me and so so i don't have to so my body doesn't have to like tell myself to breathe and to do these things and my first memory is the ventilator being pulled out mm. you know i just remember taking this gasping breath of air mm. you know mm. that i'm alive <laughs> wow and you remember everything after that you know not very like you know you'd have to talk to liz or my mom about you know what happened the next like two two days or so just because i i still don't have a great memory of those like it's what i think it's friday and saturday and then i think sunday i start to maybe have a few more memories and better memories yeah. um it's still pretty foggy for me for um, sure. i would ask them the same questions like over and over again um so mm. I, I still had a really really poor memory um when I first woke up. Yeah. And so backing up again, just a little bit, um, your girl Liz was at this race, right? Yeah. When did she find out about this or how did she find out? Well, yeah. So she, I think she'd seen something happening at the base of the resort because she was just down, um, kind of spectating the race and, you know, she had been in her car and, at one point she looked outside and like saw this kind of commotion going on at the base of the resort. And, um, 
she saw somebody like, you know, there's a group of people around him and this guy had white boots on and, um, they were doing CPR and she's like, Oh, there's no way that's Eric. And, you know, she didn't want to like cause more of a burden or anything on to see what was going on to cause more of a commotion and just stayed out of it. And, uh, so I, I eventually got hauled off in the ambulance and she remembers seeing, you know, me with my white boots being on the gurney, getting hauled up into the ambulance. And, uh, you know, at that point, she still hadn't, didn't really think that it could be me. She's like, she's like, I mean, why would it be me? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, I, yeah. there's, I've lived my whole life and done all these extreme things and, uh, you know, races like this, it was just another day. So you know, what would have caused it to be me? And, uh, right. you know, it hadn't crossed her mind and, you know, people start leaving from the parking lot and to go home. And, um, you know, I still hadn't came down from the mountain uh so it, as to what she thought and you know finally there's only a few people left and she goes up to one of them and asks them you know like who was that 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 uh, got hauled off in the ambulance and they looked up my bib number and they looked up my name and the race registration and they told her it was me mm. and uh Somebody ended up bringing her, um, you know, driving her to the, to the hospital. Yeah. Yeah. I can only imagine the emotional roller coaster she went through. I mean, yeah, it's insane. Yeah. How far yeah, away yeah. was the hospital? I think it's about a 20 minute drive. 20 minutes. Wow. How is she holding up at this point? Well, yeah, she's just happy, you know, that I, seem to be, you know, basically myself and, you know, I'm able to work and I'm able to, you know, still like, it appears to be that I'm going to be able to make a full recovery. So, mm. um, you know, she's, she's extremely happy right now. Yeah. Um, yeah, you know, it was a pretty rough time there for a few days. Um, when I was there in the hospital trying to just stay alive and, uh, you know, have, having an unknown outlook, you know, it wasn't, hope very hopeful mm. for me um based on you know knowing outside outside of the hospital cardiac arrests um don't generally end up too too well yeah wow um and you were in the hospital for like seven days right yep so i got released um basically exactly one week from when i went in um and that was on following wednesday and so, yeah, I had progressed pretty quickly in the hospital. I mean, all things considered, like it felt like, felt for me like a long time being in there. Um, it's hard to really comprehend like how long it was if, if I were to tell you, but it, it, you know, it turned out it was only a week. So um, ultimately I, yeah, I recovered fairly well um, and was able to get discharged. Yeah. I mean, I would think that your athleticism had to have played a part in that as far as you recovering quickly. And another thing I wanted to ask you about was, uh, I think I saw on your, one of your Instagram posts that you'd been practicing, uh, some Wim Hof holotropic breathing beforehand. Yeah. (laughs) So I'm, I'm interested in that because I'm into the same thing. And like, do you think that that 
helped you in some way or, or hindered you in some way? Or, or what are your thoughts on that now? Yeah, yeah, you know, it's, I can give you my perspective of it all. And in my perspective, um, maybe isn't necessarily what the medical research would necessarily say, but um, to me, it seems hard to believe that it didn't have some type of beneficial effect um, for me to be doing, you know, Wim Hof uh, style breathing and like oxygen depletion Mm -hmm. style breathing and um you know training your body to be able to handle like higher co2 environments uh to me it it seems fairly logical that it did have a beneficial effect um you know throughout my whole life uh i've always trained to be as strong as as possible and doing that was training for an unknown situation that i didn't even know I was going to be potentially in one day. And it turns out that it was, it paid off, I think for me. I mean, maybe had I not been doing it, I wouldn't be here talking to you right now. Maybe I'd be a vegetable. And yeah. like, I really, really believe in the, you know, power of the mind and power um, that your body has to uh, get through difficult things. And, you know, ultimately like, I, yeah, I wouldn't be here had it not been for, the doctors there who were doing CPR, but I think it affected my outcome um, in some way of being able to be here and talking to you right now. Um, totally, totally. You know, in the in the cold baths, I was doing like these cold ice dips and things like that. Mm -hmm. And you know, yeah, people can take what they want from it. They can say I was an idiot for doing that stuff, but I ultimately think that it probably played a beneficial role in in, in my outcome, you know, is there, is there anyone who's had, uh, like a differing opinion on that? Like that could have been some of the cause of this or, or any negativity towards that. I haven't heard anything so far. Like I've, I've mentioned it to the doctors that I was doing, you know, Wim Hof breathing and I was doing those cold ice baths and uh, ice dips in the river and things like that. And they've, none of them have said that that, particularly would have caused uh, that event to happen for me. And so that in and of itself is, is good to hear. Good. Yeah. Good. But also at the same time, none of them have said, none of them have said that like it particularly would have been a good thing, but yeah, you know, I just think there's so much that we don't know about, you know, our, our world and our universe and us as human beings that I think it's uh you know, one of those things that, it's kind of in, in one of those unknown realms that I kind of like to delve into to be, you know, as strong as I, as I can be. Yeah. Well, yeah, me too. And I've always been into the power of the mind and yeah, I do the cold baths, the ice plunges, um, the deep breathing, you know, as well as, you know, I'm always looking for a little edge, whether it's just, you know, yoga, extra vitamins, you know, I'm, yeah. I'm looking for an edge everywhere. And I'm, I'm guessing you're probably in the same boat. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, any, anything that, uh, can potentially, uh, you know, be beneficial for you, uh, mentally and, and physically, I generally like to, uh, try to delve into those things. You know, I try not to get too much into, um, you know, I try not to go too crazy, crazy into some of this stuff, but, uh, for sure, you know, things that deal with, you know, just mental toughness and mental strength and, uh, you know, 
pushing your mental barriers, I think, uh, are, are good things and, you know, eating healthy and things like that. Um, yeah. So looking back, do you attribute, um, you know, the Wim Hof system and, and your positive mental attitude and your athleticism and doctors being at the right place at the right time? Um, like, do, can you point your finger at one thing and say, I'm alive because of that? Or is it just all of these things combined? Like, even though this horrible thing happened, it was kind of a perfect scenario for, for you know, you to survive. Yeah, yeah, you know, it's, I really can't, you know, with, with all my background, with whatever Wim Hof, like you could hold your breath for, I think the longest breath hold is somewhere around like 20 minutes. You know, I was without a pulse for 40. So, um, (laughs) without the ultimately like whatever my background was, um, I wouldn't be alive without the, you know, the people there who knew the right protocol and who knew CPR. Um, you know, I'm not, I don't want to be so arrogant to say that I I could have done this myself because I definitely couldn't have, Mm -hmm. um, you know, it was the people there at Whitefish Mountain and the doctors in the Kalispell hospital who knew everything, um, right to do who saved my life. Mm. Um, you know, where I think the training maybe comes into is, uh, my recovery from, from that state. Um, that makes sense. Yeah. Um, have, what have the doctors told you since then? Um, have they given you like a proper diagnosis or, or are they just left with questions as well? What does that look like? Yeah, so far I really haven't received too much information. Um, you know, they're still running some studies and tests and things like that. Uh, I have a, I have a heart arrhythmia. Um, so I have like these abnormal heartbeats, probably they, I think it's like one out of every three. So kind of an abnormal amount of these big, uh, they're called PVCs that they, they're big heartbeats, but your heart's not contracting, um, properly. And so it doesn't actually circulate blood around, um, properly. And when you have that many of them, um, you know, some weird things can happen, but mm. so I think they think that maybe it was like a few of those uh, PVC type heartbeats that kind of compound on top of each other mm-hmm. and set your heart into this bad rhythm. Um, but, you know, people have PVCs, like it, it's normal for everybody to have some PVCs in their heartbeat. Uh, I think I have a few more than normal. Um, but ultimately they, they have told me that, you know, the amount of PVCs I have in my heartbeat should not have caused me to have a cardiac arrest like that. Yeah. Um, and so they, yeah, they're still looking into some answers on, you know, why, they, why they think it happened and what it could be. And you didn't know about any of this condition beforehand? No, no. So yeah, I, you know, going back to that 2013 story and that gold rush race, I, yeah, I got an EKG after I made it, maybe told you this already, but I got an EKG after, and they, they said it, you know, they didn't find anything abnormal. So it could just be one of these cases where it's just maybe such an abnormal thing to happen that, you know, it wouldn't have been found back then. I don't know. Um, I'm going to the Mayo Clinic and seeing um, 
this one doctor there and uh you know he's he's pretty uh, well renowned in the in the field of cardiology and things like that and uh seems like he's a pretty great guy he's done work with a lot of like high level athletes mm. and uh yeah you know i had like a two hour long conversation with him like two weeks ago about kind of what what do you think's happening what the protocol is kind of moving forward here and like what what we can do um moving forward to try to figure out what happened so yeah he seems like a great guy to work with and i'm i'm kind of excited to see what he has to say kind of moving forward here as we get some more of these test results back good did he tell you just to jump back into some schemo right races and get right back after it or <laughs> yeah he said you know just sign up for the next one you want man it's like, this is your year for, for nolan's it. go for it <laughs> yeah yeah nolan's you name it just get after it do them all <laughs> yeah um no, i he, think uh, I- I think I follow to... you on Strava and it looks like you're, you know, you've been doing some walking, a little bit of running here and there, but it looks, you know, obviously slow as it should be. Um, is that pretty much what it's been, been like just slowly moving the body just to see how things react or. Yeah. Yeah. I've just been taking it, you know, real easy. I was, I had about two, three weeks of just kind of taking some nice walks out and, you know, outside and, um, just getting, you know, getting some fresh air really, uh, mm-hmm. you know, even that, you know, just being able to walk around just feels really good. And, you know, I feel extremely lucky, you know, it's just to still be here with all you guys and, uh, totally. Yeah. You know, walking has been great and, um, you know, progressed a little bit and, um, I go to cardiac rehab and they let me do some running and, uh, you know, every, I've been going about three days a week to this cardiac rehab and, um, you know, they hooked me up with all these monitors and things like that, watching my heart and making sure things aren't going haywire. Mm. And, uh, yeah, they're keeping things in check while I'm kind of starting to ease my way back into running, Mm. um, and kind of just getting into some of those higher heart rates again. Yeah. Um, and I, I did buy this, uh, a heart rate monitor, like a chest strap heart rate monitor. Mm -hmm. And I've kind of been comparing what they've been seeing at the, at the, uh, at the hospital to what that's been telling me. And it seems like it's actually been fairly accurate. So, um, that's been definitely kind of a good, uh, good confidence booster to me, like being able to go out and, you know, do some running on my own, um, you know, try to get back to some kind of sense of some normal activities. Totally but there's no talk of like heart surgery at any point or uh, anything like that. No, not really. Not at this point. There's still, there's like two buckets that could be in really right now. It's, it could be in the genetic bucket where, you know, my family history has predisposed me to, to, to this situation. And then there's another bucket where uh, for some odd reason, it, it's been a developed arrhythmia and you know, from what I gather, it developed arrhythmia. It's not developed because I've been pushing my body to these, you know, extreme levels. It's like, I've heard of people who have get these heart arrhythmias who are kind of sitting on the couch or um, just normal average everyday, you know, people going to work and kind of going on easy walks and things like that. So Mm. um, it's not, I haven't ever been told that at least at this point that what happened to me is because of doing like extreme, uh, 
you know, endurance events and things like that. So, you know, if that's any kind of solace to, you know, anybody listening or to you and, um, you know, they haven't told me it's because of doing like high intensity workouts or because I was doing these, you know, multi-day races or anything. So, uh, you know, I think it's just kind of particular to, to my own body right now. And, you know, for whatever reason, sometimes people develop these arrhythmias and, you know, I'm not sure if they know why yet. Do you feel like you had some sort of a genetic predisposition towards something like this? Like, is your family pretty healthy or? Yeah, family's, you know, all fairly active. Um, okay. Brother and sister uh, do some triathlons and running and things like that. And my parents are both fairly active. And mm. um, yeah, so I think that, you know, if you were to ask me, it doesn't seem like the genetics uh, is really going to play into it. Mm-hmm. So for whatever reason, like, you know, and we'll, we'll have to tell you, like, I'll have to tell you, like, once they get the real um, results back from the studies and tests and things like that. But it, it seems to me like it could have been some kind of a developed arrhythmia for whatever reason, like, uh, you know, who knows why it developed. Yeah. Where's your head at now? Um, like I'm just picturing if I went through something like this, I think I would just be thankful, um, filled with gratitude, hugging my loved ones a little longer. Um, but I can't even imagine, honestly. So I'm just curious, like, where are you at right now? Yeah, it's, uh, yeah, it's been a crazy kind of experience. Um, you know, one that, you know, you wouldn't wish on your, your worst enemy to, to go through, um, Yeah, I can imagine. It's been really hard, you know. Yeah. Just, you you know, you think you're, (laughs) you think you can do anything in life, and then all of a sudden you get uh, slapped across the face with a sledgehammer and totally get back to the dirt. And uh, yeah, yeah, it's it's hard um, mentally and physically. And, uh, you know, I'm generally, I'm doing pretty, pretty well. uh, You know, try to stay positive and, keep a positive outlook. Uh, yeah. You know, if anything in my past has uh, taught me, um, you know, it's keeping a positive mindset uh, really can, can affect your outcome. Yeah. And uh, that's, you know, that's what I'm trying to do and trying to move forward with my life and not get bogged down too much in the past. For sure. Yeah. Um, what's been the hardest part? Like, I imagine this has been an emotional roller coaster, but like emotionally, can you like pinpoint it at one particular thing? Like my family had to go through this or like when you just like looking back over the past month, like, um, what, like you say it's been hard, but like, what does that mean? Yeah, just, you know, everything, you know, putting, putting um, Liz through this and putting my family through this. And, uh, you know, I, had I known that was going to happen to me in that race, obviously I wouldn't have done it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, I don't want to, I don't wish anybody to go through, you know, what I went through and uh, it's just been, just been hard mentally to, to realize that, um, you know, something I did put, you know, my family members and friends and in so much pain, 
And um, yeah, well, it's not like you can blame yourself. It's not something you really did. Yeah, <laughs> I know, I know. Something happened to you. Yeah, no, I didn't, didn't definitely, definitely didn't try to do it. And, uh, you know, yeah, I, would, I wouldn't have wished that on my worst enemy. Um, it's just been, yeah, difficult all around, just mentally kind of processing, you know, what's happened and, uh, you know, what's, what I'm going to be able to do moving forward. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, obviously I love to be in the mountains and love to, uh, just be outdoors. And then, you know, that's what I want to continue to do. I just, I don't want to have to have people be worrying about me. Yeah. Um, totally. Being yeah. out and doing things I love and, uh, you know, yeah, I'm still here. Yeah. So got to keep, keep living your life and, uh, can't get bogged down too much in, in what happened. Like, obviously you want to learn, learn from what happened and kind of grow from that. Um, yeah, but you don't want to like live in fear and you don't want your loved ones living in fear either. I, I totally understand that. And that's something I didn't really even think about. So that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. It's... Does, so like when you step outside now to, to take a walk outside, does life have like a new flavor for you? Like, does the air seem more crisp and smell a little nicer or, or is there really any difference at all? Yeah, I mean, I think it definitely does. You know, it's just every day being alive is a is a really special gift, and I think you know, it's not always that easy to realize that when you're living your normal everyday life, uh, mm -hmm. going to work and you know doing the everyday thing. But you know, just being alive, being a human is is a really special thing, and you know, being able to have all these emotions that we do have, you know, pain and joy and sadness and uh, love and struggles and um you know it's all part of being human and um just trying to you know embrace all those emotions like you know if you if you didn't have any emotions you'd be dead yeah um, and yeah. if you didn't have pain and struggle and enjoy and those things in your life you'd be you wouldn't be here so mm -hmm. uh, it just kind of brings a little little bit different perspective um into everyday life and just to be appreciative of you know what i do have and where i am in my present moment and appreciative of the people I have around me, my friends and uh, family and all that. So that's something I try and think about every day. I try and be grateful for where I'm at. Like my life isn't perfect, but you know, I've got a roof over my head. I've got a dog. I've got yeah. a fiance. Like, like life is pretty darn good compared to, you know, the life a lot of people have. And I try and plant myself in, in gratitude. Um, has that increased for you i mean is that something you ever thought about before or is it just has it been brought to the forefront now and and now it's just more apparent than ever like life is a gift yeah you know i've always had a i feel like i've always had a pretty good perspective on life and been you know really appreciative of um of just yeah being being alive um you know that's part of the reason why i like to go on the mountains and to push my body is just because i really um, it just, it's so, so amazing to be human and to be alive and to be able to go out in the mountains and do these kind of, uh, amazing things that, you know, we all love to do. Mm -hmm. Um, so I feel like I always have had a pretty good perspective, but, uh, you know, this has definitely put it in, into a little bit different of a place where it's just, you know, you really, um, it's just kind of a heightened level and really valuing people around you and friends and family members and just realizing how special that is to 
just to be here. Totally. Totally. Wow. It's an incredible story, man. Um, yeah. And you know, it feels like, like I feel your emotion and it feels like you're still pretty deep in it, you know, because it just happened a little while ago. Like this may have happened for some, you know, not to sound corny, but maybe a bigger purpose for, you know, and who knows what that could be. Right. Like maybe, you know, you're here to influence or inspire somebody or gosh, I mean, there could be a million different reasons that this happened. Um, So, you know, I'm just doing my best to like encourage you to to stay positive, you know? Yeah. No, no, I appreciate that. Yeah. No, yeah. it's a, no, it's yeah. Great. Great to talk to you and get to hear, hear oh, from dude. you and your perspective too. It's, you know, it's, 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 you know, yeah, like I said, I wouldn't have wished this on my worst enemy to have to have to go through it, but yeah, you know, here well, I am and uh, trying to make the best of it. Oh man. Well, I'm so grateful that you're here, man. And, you know, I first heard about it through uh, our mutual friend, John Denise, he sent me a text and he goes, did you hear about Eric? And I'm like, no, no. And he goes, look on Facebook. And I'm like, I don't think I'm even friends with him on Facebook. I think we're on Instagram and maybe Strava and, and then uh, he kind of filled me in as to what happened. And, you know, yeah. you know what, and then the pictures started coming in and I'm just like, Oh my God, like, yeah, it's just like sending out prayers and, you know, yeah, it's crazy. It's like you and I only spent a few hours together probably, I, I think, but still yeah. like, Oh my God, this poor guy and his family. And I can only imagine yeah. what they're all going through. So yeah, it's heavy, man. It's heavy. Yeah, it is. It is heavy. And, um, yeah, you know, it's everybody thinks they're unstoppable until you get uh, knocked down to the ground, and you know, you might find yourself hopefully not where I am. But yeah, you know, yeah, it's just you know, I never had in my wildest dreams that had, had thought I'd have a heart attack. Like, if you had told me that a year ago, I'd be like, dude, you were. Like off of your rocker, like right. get out of here. Right. Like I'm not gonna have a heart attack. I'm 30 years old, and uh, you know I'm in I'm in great shape. Like, who are you to tell me I'm gonna have a heart attack? And yeah. you know, life has a way of uh, doing funny things. And um, here I am. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, I have like I have one more question, and it might be you can answer it if you want to. I can always cut it out as well. But like have your thought, have your thoughts of like the afterlife changed at all? Like, um, do you, do you, do you believe in an afterlife? Do you believe in reincarnation? And has this incident like changed that perspective for you at all? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I've thought about this one good amount, uh, after, you know, being where I was uh, for 40 minutes mm-hmm. and um, you know before all this stuff happened I would have told you that you know you know I, that I didn't know what happened and that you know maybe there is a God maybe there isn't a God and sure. um, you know, after going through this I I still don't necessarily know what the answer is to that, but I do think that, um, you know, when we, when we eventually leave, um, our energy kind of transforms into some other state, um, 
in the universe. Um, and I feel like kind of like our energy and our spirit kind of goes out into being a part of everything. Mm. Um, kind of being just a part of the whole universe. Um, there's like a, there's a thermodynamic property that says, uh, it's like the first law of thermodynamics or something like that. And it says, um, energy is conserved. Its form can be converted. And to me, what that means is like, you know, we're here on earth living in a human form. Mm -hmm. And when we die, um, you know, maybe our soul kind of leaves our body and you know, our energy is somehow converted into, into another form. Maybe it's a star up in the, in the sky, or maybe, you know, it's just whatever else in the universe, like we, our energy just kind of goes into being the universe and becomes everything. Mm -hmm. It's kind of, uh, you know, what I feel like my experience was. Yeah. Wow. That's powerful, man. Um, and I can totally get behind it. Um, I've had experiences where I'd like to think I'm like tuned into that sort of thinking. I may or may not be, but you know, I had a good friend that passed away a couple of years back and, and, uh, I truly felt like he came to me for like a minute and said, just like a sentence, you know, and kind of laughed with me, you know? Yeah. And it, it was, you know, what he said was, was like kind and encouraging and just like his typical self kind of joking around. Yeah. And then, um, you know, a couple of weeks ago, uh, my grandfather has been passed away for years, but my, my family mailed me a ring that, uh, he always wore and he wore up till his death. And, uh, so I got this in the mail and I put it on and I just had this crazy, like this, it's like this energy was there. Like I felt my grandfather there hmm. and it was just, it was so bizarre. And, you know, well, I guess it could have been in my head. Like it certainly could have been, but, um, it was a true feeling and it felt really, really real at the time, you know, yeah. so I can, I can totally get behind what you're saying, man. And mm -hmm. yeah, I mean, there's a lot that we don't understand. Um, you know, in the world still. And, you know, that's ultimately, you know, you asked me one of, one of the biggest questions of, uh, in all of, in all of life, you know, what happens right. when, you, when you leave here and like, you know, here I am, I'm still alive trying to figure out where I was when I was there for those 40 minutes. And, uh, <laughs> that's my, that's really kind of my best answer is, uh, yeah, you know, I think there, I think what you experienced, uh, could have been, you know, very real and, uh, very true to uh yeah you that you felt him being there with you and um you know, i wouldn't say that that wouldn't didn't ha necessarily happen that he wasn't there with you yeah yeah wow man it's an incredible story and like i said if i can give you any encouragement it's like maybe this happened for a reason like you know who knows maybe you're gonna tell this story or, or write a book or or be that guy who goes out and does crazy adventure races and has this story from his past. And, you know, who knows where this is going to go, man, but, um, keep your head up, man. Uh, I'm so glad that you're still with us. And, um, I think you have a lot to, to, to show the world and, and teach the world. And in one way or another, I think that you're going to be able to take this and, and help people. And who knows what that looks like at this point, because like I said, I can just tell you're still in it, man, this just happened. So, um, just yeah like 
you know, I'm no one to give advice, but if I could give you any advice, it would just be like, hug your loved ones, let them know you, you love them. And, you know, that's yeah. something I, I try and remind myself to do often and, yep. and I fail often. Yeah. But, um, wow. Yeah. You know, I, I think you can learn something from everybody on, on this earth. So, you know, that's true. Yeah, and don't think, take things for granted. And I think, you know, yeah, we can all learn things from, uh, everybody we encounter on life. So I think that's, yeah, you know, what you said is yeah, really true. Yeah. <laughs> I appreciate yeah. that. Hey, for sure, man. How do you feel? <laughs> I think we did it. Yeah. You know, <laughs> still alive. I'm still the same, uh, same, same person. I yeah. you know, stumble on my words and, uh, you know, overthink everything I say, but uh, hey, you, you and know, me both. That's, yeah. That's part of being alive. So totally, totally. Yeah. You know, that's how you know I'm the same person because I still uh, <laughs> can't really speak very well. But <laughs> me neither, man. That's why I started the podcast. This is all practice yeah. for me. But forces you to get better, anyways. Totally, yeah. Um, yeah. That's awesome. Is this hard? Is this hard for you to, to talk about and recount kind of what happened? I mean, I imagine it is, but um, is it getting easier? Yeah, you know, it's it is getting getting easier. And you know, like I said, like I've. I pretty much ran out of tears to cry. Like, yeah. you know, and before, before the event happened, like I wasn't a person who cried, you know, maybe once a year at the most. Um, so yeah, I wasn't yeah, a person that was super emotional. I, it's just, yeah, I, at this point, I just, I've been like all of January was like, you know, pretty much, you know, a lot of tears and Mm -hmm. just processing what had happened and um you know at this point i'm i'm trying to move on and uh you know yeah i try to keep keep living my life and uh yeah yeah move on from here for sure i mean that's all you can do right stay grounded stay present and move forward um, yeah yeah um well, Eric, uh, thank you for taking the time to share your story, man, because it's incredible. And, you know, I, yeah, I've said it a couple of times. I can tell you're still in it, man. The emotion is still there, but, um, yeah, thank you. I appreciate it. And yeah. I'm so glad you're still here with us, man. Yeah. Yeah. Likewise. And, um, you know, yeah, I just recommend everybody to get, you know, CPR certified and, you know, you never know when that, uh, could come in handy and you, you know you might be the one saving somebody else's life so that's true um yeah you know i just couldn't tell everybody uh you know everybody yeah everybody should go get cpr trained and 100 mm -hmm. if it wasn't for important. that you would be here i mean that's right literally saved your life yeah i did yeah so it's, it's well, a special thing special gift you could give somebody you know give them their own life back yeah yeah so what could you, what else could you want to give somebody uh, in life is just to, you know, bring them back to their family and friends. And, and I'm guessing you've been back in contact with the people that literally saved your life. Yeah, it was um, pretty cool. I was able to get all the phone numbers and um, was able to talk to them on the phone. I had about hour long conversations with hmm. um, Pete, Tyler and uh, Rachel and, um, and a few of the others at the race that day. So yeah, that was really special and good to hear from them. And just to, you know, I think it helped them too, to know that I was still doing okay and things like yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah. 
Wow. Incredible. Well, hang in there, Eric. I hope that you have a speedy recovery and we can get out on the trail sometime soon. Yeah. I appreciate it. Yeah. Yeah. yeah likewise. Can... I hope I'm out there again too. Oh yeah. I mean, even if it's for a walk, I would just, yeah, I'd love to get out with you. And, um, but yeah, man, stay positive, stay grounded, um, stay planted in gratitude as best you can. I mean, it's an incredible story. So, um, yeah, man, keep inspiring people. Thanks, man. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'll do what I can, you know, I'm not the greatest speaker ever, but, uh, speaking has never been my forte. So uh, you got to do the best I can. This story will be polished at some point. Yeah. Yeah. So (laughs) give me a year, give me another year or so, you know, be dialed. Yeah. Ah, all right, man. Well, take care of yourself. Thanks so much for doing this and God bless, man. Yeah. Yeah. Likewise. All right. Great talking with you, Adam. Thanks buddy. Appreciate it. Talk to you soon. All right. Okay. Later. Later. Man, I really want to thank Eric for coming on the show and sort of bearing his soul and just telling his story. He's a really inspirational dude. He's a super stud fit athlete, really humble guy. And, uh, I could tell it wasn't easy for him to, to talk, to tell his story. He's still in it. He's still going through it. So Eric, thank you for coming on and uh, helping to inspire people. I love it, man. Before I get you guys out of here, I want to tell you about big things crewing. Are you guys looking to increase your fitness for 2021? Are you thinking about your first marathon or ultra marathon? Maybe you're signed up for an ultra and you're wondering how you're going to get it done. Or maybe you just need someone to help you get started running. Big Things Crewing has your back. We started this company in 2019 with the goal of helping people achieve their dreams. We offer coaching programs and training plans from beginner to elite. And we also offer crewing and pacing for ultramarathon runners. Some of the best moments of my life were running ultras and I couldn't have finished races like the Leadville 100, High Lonesome 100, or Western States 100 without high quality pacers and crew. In fact, one of the things I love most about ultras is having your friends or family come out to help you. But if you want to do a big Colorado mountain race and you don't know anyone to lend you a hand and getting you to the finish line, we want to help. Uh, We've also got a couple people planted out on the East coast too. So if you're an East coaster with a race out there, don't be afraid to look us up. Give us a shout. We've done the races. We know the courses. We've got the pickup trucks to get to the backcountry aid stations. I've been in this sport for over a decade, and most of my friends have too. We know how to get you to rally and get you into that finish line. We want to help. We want you to do big things. Look us up, big-things-crewing.com. If you haven't yet, please subscribe to our podcast so you're notified when a new episode drops. If you like what you hear, please write us a review. It helps us to be seen among all the other podcasts you could be listening to right now. Head on over to our YouTube page and subscribe there as well. Find us on social media platforms as Big Things Crewing. And as always, our website is big-things-crewing.com. I want to thank Athletic Brewing for making this possible. 20% discount code is McRobertsA20. I'm hooking you guys up with a discount on the best non-alcoholic beer around.
And I also want to thank Will and the good people at On Pace Wellness. Uh, if you want to dial in your nutrition and do big things this year, look up On Pace Wellness. Mention this podcast for a 10% discount. Remember, guys, life is short. Do big things. Pedro, take us for a run, my man.